Let's focus on bird flu or the other name uh, we often use uh, to refer to bird flu is avian flu and it is alarmingly spreading globally. Globally, We're still dealing with the challenges of COVID, of course, but it's also important to know what scientists are seeing. Now, experts have warned that the recent uh, detection of bird flu in mammals around the world is concerning. Uh, now, the pathogen, pathogen, it's important to remember here, it hasn't um, often infected humans, but one study showed that 56% of those that have contracted a bird flu have died, and that's based on one study alone. But globally, animals impacted have include foxes, uh, even grizzly bears, otters, minks, and seals. Uh, since late 2021, Europe has been gripped by its worst ever outbreak of bird flu. Uh, North America and South America have also experienced severe outbreaks uh, as well. Uh, I was looking at some of the headlines today. You're seeing uh, bird flu detected in Russia, in Turkey, Nepal, Ecuador, Bolivia, Nigeria. Uh, this, of course, has led to the culling of tens of millions of domestic poultry uh, worldwide. Now, the first case of of uh, bird flu in a Canadian commercial poultry flo- uh, flock in 2023 was confirmed, of course, on January 7th. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency uh, said the case that they are talking about was confirmed in Chilliwack. Um, and, of course, uh, the Chilliwack case was confirmed just one day after bird flu was confirmed in two backyard flocks in BC as well. Now, so far, BC has been the only province to have a confirmed case in a commercial flock this year. Uh, but these headlines that I've been talking about have not only been local, but they've been global as well. So we want to get an idea of, of how serious this is. Uh, joining me now is Jason Tetro. He's a microbiologist with um, a specialty in studying emerging pathogens. He's also host of the Super Awesome Science Show. Jason, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Uh, how serious is this in your mind? Well, let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, I first heard about H5N1 back in the beginning of 1998 uh, in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but the fact is that um, the, the the virus, when it first showed up, scared us all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the, the sphincter impact. You, you can probably figure out what that means. It was very high at the time. Mm-hmm. But then what ended up happening is we did a little bit more research into the H5N1. And what we found was that it was actually infecting humans who essentially were getting very, very close to animal species uh, that were carrying the virus. Uh, so birds, uh, pigs, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. The reason is that, um, so, you know, SARS has ACE2 as its receptor. We've talked about this for like three years, right? Mm-hmm. Well, flu has a specific receptor and it's different from birds and humans for the most part. Mm-hmm. But humans do have some of the same receptor as you see in birds. And what ends up happening is that if you inhale enough of this virus, then it's going to actually get into your lungs, find those receptors and grow. Mm. And when that happens, you basically have a one in two chance of dying. That's how it works. What we're not seeing, okay, mm-hmm. is a mutation in the virus that allows it to infect the human receptor, which means that while it's a worry, and it has been for 25 years, mm-hmm it's not necessarily a huge threat to humans. Uh, the present uh, headlines that you're seeing uh, around the world, mm-hmm. particularly Europe, um, why have we not, in, in those years that you're explaining to me not, now, not been able to, I mean, you can't eliminate this stuff completely, but yeah. why has it been around for so long that we are not able to at least uh, reduce its impact? 
Oh, once it's established in the society, it's there forever. Um, you basically have about a year to stamp out any kind of emerging virus, emerging pathogen. If you don't do that within that one year, it's going to spread. And when you have it in a species that travels a lot, SARS-CoV-2, humans, mm -hmm. and for avian flu, migratory birds, then it goes all over the place. Once that happens, then you essentially are sitting there doing surveillance, waiting for a mutation that's going to lead to increased spread. And more recently, that mutation happened. And so now we're seeing this new clade, as we call it, we call it lineage with SARS. It, this new clade is causing infections everywhere across the Northern Hemisphere. Now, what's going to be interesting and possibly fascinating is to see whether or not that translates to the southern hemisphere when we actually have now had the migration patterns to the south. So far, I haven't seen that yet, which means that maybe, just maybe, the virus didn't travel all the way down there and instead has been pretty much limited to the northern hemisphere. Hmm. Uh, if you do get a bird flu, what are the symptoms? Uh, sorry, it's bad. Uh, basically, you within the first 24 to 48 hours, um, you're having trouble breathing. Um, you're very, very weak. Uh, you need medical attention straight away. And essentially what ends up happening is that while you're in um, the hospital, uh, and I do apologize, it gets a little morbid from here, you essentially have more and more difficulty breathing and eventually your lungs turn to the same kind of consistency as your liver, and therefore you're no longer able to bring in air in and out of your body. Uh, in regards to interaction with animals then, uh, some people even have you know, uh, mm -hmm. ba ba chickens in their backyard, uh, even in an urban environment. Yeah. Uh, should they you know, be interacting uh, with those set animals? I mean, I'm, I'm just curious in regards to just precautions people can take. Mm -hmm. What should they yeah. be doing? Well, what we found is, um, and again, 25 years ago, up until about 2005, when H5N1 was really spreading around, I know you probably don't remember that, but we do, um, we were noticing that people were uh, sleeping with their animals, sleeping with their pets. So they would actually sleep with their chickens or they would sleep with their pigs. This was um, something that was fairly common. I remember in 2003 in Vietnam, there was literally a campaign for people not to sleep with animals to be able to prevent uh, avian flu from spreading. So really what you want to do is you want to avoid long contact times within a very small environment with animals that potentially could have an infection. And again, they will look really bad when they are infected. If they seem perfectly normal and there's nothing going on, then don't worry about it. You can play as much as you want with them. But the minute that they start to look ill, and especially if they do happen to have uh, be a species that we already know has had avian flu, then I would very much recommend that you keep your distance, call a veterinarian, and get someone in there immediately. I, I, you see this sometimes in the news where, uh, let's say, a mink farm uh, is impacted and, and they cull the minks. Mm -hmm. I think they recently did that uh, in Spain. I think that was in October. Yeah. We do that here in British Columbia a couple times. We've heard about that in the last year or so. Mm -hmm. uh, are, are minks specifically different in regards to their respiratory system when it comes to uh, human beings? Yeah, they're half and half. Basically, they have half of the avian, half of the human. So as soon as uh. they come into contact with the H5N1, it's going to go in and go, hey, hey, look at this, and then start growing like crazy. Now, the real difference, of course, is that most of the time, it isn't very easily spread from mink to mink. But because of this new mutation in this new clade, it appears to be spreading very efficiently within the mink. And this is where people start getting worried because, well, what if all of a sudden it becomes uh, able to infect using the human receptor that's in there? 
And that's when it becomes something of an issue. And they're culling because, like I said, you have a year. And if you don't get it within that year, then you're probably going to have trouble. So as soon as you see that in these communities of animals, they just essentially get rid of them. Uh, for our listeners, uh, you know, the headlines, of, uh, I'm noticing more of them over the last couple of weeks, uh, although this has been an ongoing mm-hmm. issue, as you said. Uh, how, how concerned should people be? Is it still a question of it does not transfer from animals to human beings? I, although when I look at these uh, articles, and you see them in the New York Times, Washington Post, and mm-hmm. a lot of them in, in Europe as well. Uh, you do get a little concerned. What should people take from the news that they are are already probably getting or maybe getting in regards to this issue? Yeah, and and I mean, I I do respect many of the scientists who are you know very very concerned that we're not going to be ready for the next pandemic, the next one being most likely some kind of avian flu. And that's just simply because we spent the last three years showing how unprepared we were for something that was called a coronavirus. And the flu mutates even worse than the coronavirus. So at the end of it all, the the concern, while maybe not for every single person listening here to be a huge one, for those of us who are in the emerging pathogens community, we definitely are hoping that the message continues to be heard so that we can continue to maintain that um, surveillance and, and, and just essentially that proactive nature so that we're prepared for it as opposed to what happened with SARS-CoV-2. Jason, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Take care. All right. That is Jason Tetro. He's a microbiologist with a specialty in studying emerging, emerging pathogens and host of the Super Awesome Science Show.